May I speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Winter is coming. Um, Some of you may think that's rather an odd comment, and indeed it is, as spring has begun. But if I say winter is coming, some of you will recognize that I'm referring to the extraordinary fantasy television series, The Game of Thrones. And to explain to you what's happened in the last few series would require timelines, maps, Uh, genealogical tables and um, it would be easier to explain uh, the inevitable Brexit than it is Game of Thrones. There's a lot of backstory and dragons. Uh, Best of all. um, Unfortunately for me, the preacher, uh, our epistle reading today has just, a compl- just as complicated a backstory, albeit no dragons. It's a very dense passage that draws on large parts of the rest of the Bible to find its meaning. And so I'm unworthily going to try to tease out what's behind the passage. First of all, as far as we understand, at the time of St. Paul and Jesus, it was the custom for Jewish males to wear a prayer shawl around their shoulders when they were worshipping God in the temple or in the synagogue. And at the holiest part of the prayers, known now as the standing prayer, uh, Jewish men take the prayer shawl bring it over their head and hold their hands in front of their face, holding the, the, the prayer shawl in front of their face and veiling themselves to mark that this part of the prayer is so holy and to aid their concentration. So they're not looking at anything, just concentrating on repeating the sacred words. So for Jewish people... Wearing a veil would have had a very positive connotation of prayer, very different from how a veil is understood in our culture. Then, when the people of God had left Egypt and were wandering in the desert, Moses, their liberator, met God face to face in some mysterious way, at the top of Mount Sinai and spoke to God as to a friend. When Moses comes down from this encounter, his, his whole being is shining because of his joy at meeting God and seeing God's glory. And St. Paul here says that Moses then took to veiling his, his face not because he was ashamed of meeting God, but because this glory faded and he didn't want to draw attention to that fading of God's presence. This is found nowhere in the Hebrew Bible. It's Paul's own interpretation. And it has particular resonance. Paul, of course, 
had been an observant Jew, um, a Pharisee, uh, before becoming Christian, another part of the story. And it seemed that at the time that Paul wrote this second letter to the Corinthians, there were in the communities around Corinth, which had a large Jewish community, there were Christians teaching that the law of Moses, the ceremonial law or Torah, should be kept fully by Christians, that it was still completely binding. And so this passage is taken from a very long argument continued over several of Paul's letters saying that in Christ we are set free from the law of Torah in which God promises blessings and curses, life and death. With Christ in a very memorable phrase that Paul uses, it is always yes, it is always life, it is never death. So Paul wanted Christians to step away from this observance so that they should fully receive the new glory that is Christ. And then Paul Again, in his larger argument, Paul says that, in fact, the death, crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Christ is the true meaning of the Hebrew Bible. It's what's behind all the other narratives and all the provisions of law. And this is why... Moses' face was shining because he saw the crucifixion and resurrection. It was so overwhelming that he wanted to hide himself from it. And so we see in the account of what's known as the transfiguration, the revealing of the glory of Jesus to two Hebrew prophets to other Hebrew prophets, Moses and Elijah, they speak together of the death of Jesus. You see how extraordinarily dense this passage is. And before I say how we might as Christians receive it today, I'd like to talk about one entirely false reading of this passage. For it is possible, alas, to read parts of our scriptures as hostile to the Jewish people as anti-Semitic. Paul does not mean that God does not honour his covenant with the Jewish people Paul does not mean that the Jewish people are not, then as now, loved by God. Paul does not mean that Jewish people are cursed by God. Indeed, to say such a thing 
is to utter a blasphemy and a great evil. We must interpret the passages in the New Testament that show an argument with the leaders of the Jewish people as an argument within the Jewish faith from which we sprung, not from many years later looking back and condemning it. I think it's necessary to say this so clearly because you may have seen that in the past week in our own city, a member of parliament addressed a political meeting and made light of the tremendous evil of anti-Semitism. This was troubling enough. What was more troubling were the shouts of approval which greeted his comments. One of our members of parliament has said that they're ashamed to be a member of parliament at this time. I think that as people of Sheffield, we too should be ashamed that such things are possible in our city. A city which for many people is so strongly committed to inclusion, to peace. Rabbi the Lord Sachs has spoken very movingly in Parliament about anti-Semitism. And I'd like to quote two sections of what he says. He says one of the difficult things about anti-Semitism is the reason for it keeps changing, but the hatred remains. Like a virus, he says, it mutates. Jews are made the scapegoat for problems for which we are all responsible. In the 18th century, they said, we don't hate Jews, just their religion. In the 19th century, they said, we don't hate Jews, just their race. In the second half of the 20th century, we said, we don't hate Jews, just their nation state. This is how the road to tragedy begins. When hatred of any group is held up as politically viable. Again, this is what Lord Sachs says. Anti-Semitism becomes truly dangerous when three things happen. When it moves from the fringes of our politics to a mainstream party and its leadership. When that party sees that its popularity with the general public is not harmed. And when those who stand up and protest are vilified and abused. Lord Sachs said, all these three factors exist in Britain now. That is why we cannot stay silent, for it is not only Jews who are at risk, so too is our humanity. So to be clear, for any Christian to encourage the singling out of Jewish people, 
the blame of Jewish people or a true blasphemy, the hatred of Jewish people. This is a profound evil which every Christian is called to resist. So what can we take? What can we take from this inner dialogue of Paul at this time of threatened violence and hatred? Paul sees the whole meaning of the Scriptures in the weakness of Christ, in his crucifixion and death. For Paul, this reveals God's loving presence in fear and pain and loss. Paul's very clear. To turn away from this, to think that God is primarily found in success and power and money, is quite false. Paul calls us as Christians to remain focused on the God who suffers for us and brings us hope. So, dear brothers and sisters, let us listen to the Apostle Paul. Let us listen to the whole story of Scripture and put all our hope in the God who shares our suffering, who bears our sin, and who brings us hope, because that God shows that his love will overcome all blasphemy, all evil, all hatred, and all sin. And unto that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be glory and honor and power now and always. Amen.